So Daniel chapter 2, we've been in a series that's um, applying God's word to where we are at work and drawing principles out of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1 through 6, and um, we're entitling this series Work as Worship, that is, how do I treat where God has called me, whether that's in the home as a stay-at-home parent or in a work environment that's more in a like a setting like a factory, or it could be you could be a barista, or you could be working at Google or Facebook, wherever it might be. How do you treat what you do, whether that's there or in the place of school, and actually use it as an opportunity to worship? How does your work become an opportunity to honor God, bring attention to Him and glory to Him, wherever you might find yourself? So we've been looking at this wonderful book, Daniel chapter 2, and This morning, we're going to talk about a little different theme in the life of Daniel. It's the theme of success or promotions. What happened? How do you navigate that when you step into a place where you are honored and you actually find success at work? One of the dominant themes you'll discover if you look online about people defining success is that people love to take credit for their own success. That's actually not the Bible's story, is it? The Bible's story is that every thing that I have, every skill that I have, and everything that I do really is a product of God's gift and God's good work in me. And when I attempt to take credit for my own success, I set myself up for some pretty spectacular failure. Not only does my head swell and I struggle, start wrestling with my own pride and arrogance, but I can steal the honor and praise that's due God. And when I steal from God, of course, that's a that's a horrible position to be in. I can alienate myself from others, and I can lead a life that will eventually, like Nebuchadnezzar's life, lead to great humbling. What would it look like to navigate those successes in my life in a way that actually brought God honor and brought health to me, that brought growth to me and helped me appreciate all that God is doing in and with me and through me? For those of you who are experienced students in the book of Daniel, you'll know that Daniel chapter 2 describes a dream that Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar had. Here's the setting. Daniel and his friends are taken captive and led as um, forced immigrants to a different country, to Babylon, the great world power in the moment. And they were led to a very hostile place, an environment where they were working. And they were working as kind of interns slash learners, students, in the environment where they found themselves to serve this king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And as they entered into that work environment, they encountered all kinds of challenges. How does a person who is seeking to walk with God live that faith out in a hostile environment, a place where people don't share your values or your commitment to God? So they're walking through these challenges and trying to discover how to do it best. And for those of you who have studied Daniel chapter 2 in particular, you know that Daniel, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, was given a dream. And he wanted the interpretation of that dream. And he wasn't giving out the details of what the dream was. He was telling all of his leaders, you need to give me the details of the dream and then give me the interpretation. And if you can't do that, I'm going to kill you. And he gave that order to all the leadership of the land. And it included Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, even though they were just trainees. They were just interns. 
they fell under that umbrella and they were going to lose their lives. And in response, we learned as we were thinking through the texts that Daniel and his friends, they turn to God, they just pray out to him, and God gives an interpretation of the dream to Daniel. And Daniel finds himself then taken in front of the king. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 31 this morning. And there is a primary lesson being taught before we get into the details of the text that I want you to catch. Because every message that I've ever heard on the end of Daniel chapter 2 is about prophecy, biblical prophecy and end times. People go that direction because in the text, you'll discover that as Daniel gives the interpretation of the dream, he tells Nebuchadnezzar what's going to happen to his kingdom and the next three or four kingdoms to come, what's going to happen in world history. And in fact, you can trace the course of human history and see some of the details happen in the dream that's given to Nebuchadnezzar and the interpretation that God gives. And so when people think about this chapter, they think all about end time stuff and they want to map what is the gold and what's the bronze and what's the iron and what are the feet of clay and they want to get all the details and think specifically about the details. And they miss the key point of the dream. The key point of the dream is this, that human kingdoms rise and fall while the kingdom of God is eternal. Human kingdoms whether that might be the Medes and the Persians or the Greeks or the Romans or even America, they rise and they fall in the course of human history. But the kingdom of God is eternal, and that's the key point of the dream. In the same way, great companies, Kodak and Enron and General Motors and Blockbusters have failed. They've risen and failed. And great companies today, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Apple, guess what? They're going to fail too one day. (gasps) I know. Don't run out and sell all your stock today. But I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible says. Great empires rise and they fall. And yet the kingdom of God is eternal. What does that have to do with the place where you're working? Everything. Because if you are investing all of your gifts and energies and all of your attention into the building of empires that will not stay, will not remain, are not eternal, then I have a question for you. What are you doing? Wouldn't it be better to invest your greatest energies in building the kingdom of God, which is eternal, which is the point of this message that Nebuchadnezzar receives. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is like many of us. He's going to take a long time to get it through his thick skull. And he's going to say some things that sound like, oh, he finally gets it. But then you're going to read on in chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6 and realize, wow, it's hard to get through a hard heart. And it's like us. It's like our friends. It's like the people that we work with. But Daniel by the hand of God, is going to have a message to speak out into the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and into his empire. And it's a message, actually, that is for Daniel as well and his friends who are seeking to follow God. And it's a message, a strong message for us, too. Two weeks ago, I encouraged us to begin, to use as a beginning point of our study of God's word, a question. What is this passage saying about who God is and how I relate to him? As a beginning point, us. 
So the question when I read God's word is, what's God saying about himself? What, what is God saying about himself to Nebuchadnezzar, to Daniel, to us all these years later? How is he revealing himself? Because he's a God who loves to reveal himself. So in the text, as we read the text, I want you to think about that. What's he saying about himself and how we relate to him? And then there's a second textual question I want you to be thinking about critically. How do I take the truths of this passage and actually live them out in my life this week, my life at work or at home, wherever I find myself? So let's begin with the first point. What's God saying about himself in this text? And let's read the text starting in verse 31. Daniel 2, verse 31. They'll be on the screen if you don't have it, or you can look on your phone. Don't play games, okay, on your phone, but just look at the text, or there's Bibles provided for you around you. And by the way, we'd love to give you a Bible right afterwards if you don't have one, or point you to the right kind of Bible app that can help you, and you can look in and have it with you all the time. Verse 31. <clears throat> Again, this is Daniel in front of the king, speaking to him about this dream, the details of the dream that he has. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. And as you can imagine, in the moment, Nebuchadnezzar hears Daniel do something that no one else could have done to give him the exact details of this dream that he hadn't told anybody about, but he had dreamed about. And the details were lodged in his memory. And as Daniel speaks it out, he's hearing the miraculous He's hearing that God is speaking into him. And now, Daniel gives the interpretation of what the dream meant. Verse 36, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, small k, the king of kings, small k, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and the power and the might and the glory. Nebuchadnezzar Everything you have was given to you by God, the God of heaven. And into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of heaven, every stinking thing you have, you got from him. You didn't take like you think you did. Everything you got from him, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you, shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. 
And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these things. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be divided, a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as the iron does not mix with the clay. So he's weaving out what's going to happen in human history, a set of kingdoms to follow Babylon, who will rise up, and he's telling them, this is going to be the order of what happens. Here's their characteristics. And as people think about biblical prophecy and think through the rest of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7 in particular, and other passages, and think through the course of human history, they put tags on these kingdoms and think, okay, that must have been the Medes and the Persians. This must have been the Greeks. This must have been the Romans. This is, and they put tags on that, and they, they start to think this is the point of the passage. But the point of the passage actually comes now. Starting in verse 44, the point of the interpretation. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. There is a great God in heaven who will establish an eternal kingdom, and all the other kingdoms on the face of human history will amount to nothing but chaff in the wind. That's the story that God is writing. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar needs to understand. God wants to give this great king perspective on who he is, that he's a sovereign God, and that he weaves out in human history a plan that's about his kingdom, his eternal kingdom that will last for all time. Now, that's probably not the best news to give the king who thinks of himself as a god and believes that his kingdom will last forever. So as Daniel is speaking out his interpretation, you can think in your mind, how is this king, the king who's got this crazy temper, going to respond? Because that very king got so frustrated with everybody who couldn't tell him his dream, he was going to kill everybody. How is he going to respond to Daniel? And actually, this is another place where the sovereign God steps in and steers Nebuchadnezzar. Because instead of flying off the handle after hearing that his kingdom is going to amount to nothing eventually, and only God's kingdom is going to last, here's how he responds. Verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. That's probably never going to happen at your place of work, by the way. Your boss is never going to say, This is Rick Day, and we're going to celebrate him, and everyone is play homage to Rick and celebrate him. It's probably not going to happen that way. But this is the king's response when he hears Daniel speak out the word of God to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God 
is God of gods. He's over all of our deities, all of our kings. And Lord, that is the master of kings, he's including himself there. Although next chapter, he'll forget the lesson. And a revealer of mysteries. God wants people to understand who he is and what he's doing in human history. For you've been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, the greatest city in the face of the earth at that point, and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request of the king. He appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So the passage begins with Daniel doing what no other person in the Babylonian Empire could do. Know the dream and speak out the dream and its meaning to this king, to this great king. In fact, the greatest minds of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom forcefully said it was impossible. And yet Daniel does this and he gives attention to God as he does it. And it's a clear demonstration of God's power and sovereignty even to tell the details out. And as Nebuchadnezzar stands there and waits for Daniel to say it, Daniel prefaces all his comments by saying, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. That's who he is. That's part of his character and nature. Did you know that? That's why we have his word, actually, so we're not clueless. Because the God in heaven loves for you to know him the greatest mystery of all. And he loves for you to know how to have relationship with him and how to have confidence in your future, regardless of the things that are spinning out of your control, regardless of the stuff that's happening at work today or in your family today. This is a God who wants you to know him and to know that your future is in his hands and that he is sovereign. He is in control of whatever's happening at school or at work for you, or in your home. Paul, when Paul is reflecting on the great mysteries of life, affirms this. He says, you know, even, this is in, um, let me get the text here. Paul says in um, Ephesians chapter 3, this is the mystery, this greatest mystery of all, is that all non-Jews, all Gentiles, people who are not culturally, ethnically Jews, are fellow heirs. God had a plan for every tribe and every language and every nation to come to him in relationship and for a kingdom to be built so that we would all share in his inheritance all the riches of God and we'd all be members of the same body connected organically together. Can you imagine that? Looking around across this room, If you're a follower of the Lord and have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, have experienced the gospel, the good news, then you are organically connected to one another, inseparably connected to people here who are following him, and for all time. And, Paul says, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What is that promise? That every person could find forgiveness and love and relationship by placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done, his death and his resurrection. That's the good news that we proclaim, by the way. That's why we can have confidence together 
that we can have relationship with him and we stand before God as his children, that we are his heirs, as Paul puts it. We are part of this eternal kingdom and that's the great mystery and it's starting to be revealed in Daniel chapter two to us that we're part of this kingdom. And through this particular dream, God was revealing himself to Nebuchadnezzar as this one who steers this, the one who knows what's in our hearts and minds and future. And some of you, you feel very intimidated by that, that God would know all of your heart and all of your mind. But here's the great mystery and the great majesty of the gospel, that although he knows your heart and your mind, he still loves you. And he still wants relationship with you. He still calls you into his kingdom. This great God who knows us thoroughly. And he knows our future. There are no surprises with the sovereign God. Who loves us and calls us into relationship. The God Daniel worshipped was unlike any Babylonian deity. And he knows us through and through. And that was the message to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, he knows you. He knows all about you. He even knows your dreams. And he's speaking to you right now. He's telling you what's in the future. Why? Because he loves you. And he's calling you into relationship. Nebuchadnezzar's dream itself, it has this powerful theme that speaks about the sovereign control of God and history and God's ultimate victory and God's kingdom that was greater than any other kingdom. All other kingdoms are essentially flawed, except for the kingdom of God. That God was the author and finisher of history. What a great perspective to have when we go to work. That God's in control. He is in charge. He is sovereign. And he's working through us, where he's planted us at work, by his purposes. And sometimes I don't know all his purposes. But he's placed me where I'm working for his great sovereign purposes so that he might be known and people around me as I work might know him as well. Another essential lesson God was teaching Nebuchadnezzar in this dream is that God was the giver of every good thing and was the true king of kings. Nebuchadnezzar was not. It was God. In verses 37 and 38 and 44 and 45 and 47, that message is reemphasized. Listen to verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. This is the end game of God. And at the end of it, Nebuchadnezzar, all the other things will be wiped out. And what we're left with is the eternal kingdom of God. Why wouldn't we want to prioritize that above all other things? If you haven't given this serious consideration, I think Daniel chapter 2, the second half, would call you just to deeply appreciate the nature of God, his sovereignty over us and our place of work, our place of life, that he's in control. Even when we might feel like everything's out of control, that he is completely in control. Theologians refer to this as a doctrine of the sovereignty of God. But the question is, what does that really mean for us? I believe it means that not only does God rule over space and time and history and that he's created the world for his glory and directs the cosmos for his purposes, but it also means he reigns in you and in me in our place of work. 
in all of our life. You may not be called to tell your boss what he was dreaming last night. I'm assuming that's not going to happen. But you are called to help the people around you that you work with know there is a sovereign God who reveals himself, who wants to be known. Perhaps that means some practical things to your place of work. I don't know how your work is going, whether that might be at school or at home or your place of work. But perhaps you need to stop mailing it in and actually use all of your gifts for the honor and glory of God. Colossians chapter 3 encourages us this way. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Such a great word, right? Because when I get in the trap of working for a boss, a man or a woman boss, I can be discouraged and I can lose motivation. But not when I'm working for the Lord and for His honor. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. He gave you your gifts, your talents, your energy. Use them with everything that you have for the honor and glory of God. And when that happens, people will notice, as happened in Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael's life, people will see that something is uniquely different about you. Now consider what Daniel and his friends did in this pivotal moment of God's revealing. They could have milked it, right? For all of its worth. Hey, I know the dream. What's it worth to you, king? That's not what happens. He steps into it, refuses to be self-promoting, and at the very outset gives honor to God. This is God doing this work. He's in charge of what's happening. And as a result of what Daniel does in the moment to give the king his dream and the interpretation, to give glory to God in the moment, God places his favor in the king's heart to elevate this Hebrew captive who is just a little scrub, right? He's an intern, basically. And he elevates him to the place where he's the governor now of the most wealthy and powerful place on planet Earth. His promotion and what God did with him was a strategic, purposed plan of God so that Daniel would be stepping into a place of influence for God's sake not for Daniel's sake. And his promotion was going to require greater things from Daniel and even a greater faith. Think about the last time that you stepped into some success at work or at school. Why did God allow that to happen? I believe he allowed it to happen because he was going to reveal his glory and who he was in and through you and even through your weaknesses, through your struggle. Years ago, I was working, and a boss called me into his office and surprised me, shocked me, actually. He, uh, he said he was going to give me uh, a lot more responsibility than, than I was ready for or that I was prepared for. And um, the first thing in my mind was, I hope, that makes, um, I hope that's going to give me a little bit more money, right? And I also thought about, um, what are the dues for my reputation? What God really wanted me to discover at that point was, 
Are you going to trust me? I'm calling you out actually in this moment so that you would rely more deeply in me and your faith would grow in me. Your dependence would grow and people would see the glory of God as I used a weak vessel like you, Ron. That's what I really wanted. And it took me quite a while actually to learn that lesson through all kinds of struggles. The lesson when God gives us success is that everything I have is from him. Everything I have is from him. And when I give him honor and glory, God can use that, what he's done in my life, so that he could get glory and people could see his great work. So in Daniel's life, he receives this promotion. Verse 48, Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request. Let me just stop there in verse 48. What do you think that um, did in the other people in the kingdom, in their lives, when they saw this scrub elevated to this great place of responsibility and power? All these other guys who had been working all their lives, working up the ladder, and they saw this guy who wasn't even Babylonian in the first place. I'm sure there were all kinds of racial issues and age issues, all kinds of factors going on. And Daniel gets elevated. What do you think they were feeling in the moment? They weren't happy, I'm sure. So how can God navigate through those kind of things in our lives when people feel jealousy and envy toward what's happening with us in those moments of success? And for Daniel, he acted with humility and prudence when he's elevated there. The first thing he does is he makes this request of the king, verse 49. And he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. He got these other guys around him who he respected and who knew him, who could call him out on his own weaknesses, and who had the same faith and values that Daniel did. And he got these guys around him so that they would be partners in the work, knowing he couldn't pull it off himself and that they would be praying for him, and they would have a partnership together. They could lead this together. And while being careful to make sure the king knew that all the glory should go to God, he takes this risk. He actually assumes this role. Now, as you read the story, it's fascinating how God grabs hold of this young teenage guy and places him in this responsibility, and that this pagan king, hostile to all of Daniel's values, would actually lift him up into this responsibility. It's obviously the hand of God that's moving this. But imagine for a moment that happening in your place of work. All of a sudden, you getting a responsible place that was way beyond your capacity and your preparation. How would you respond? What would you do in the moment? What would your co-workers say? How big would your head swell up? Would you get caught up in the trappings of wealth and power that can easily erode your values and past relationships? That's a more significant question, isn't it? Because that can happen very easily when we're chasing after the wrong things. Instant and dramatic promotions, they're not really the experience of most of us. But success and any kind of success can erode our values and our relationships that really matter the most. Who do we credit for our success? How do we keep ourselves grounded and maintain perspective? Daniel's young and he's inexperienced. And what he does know is he needs people around him to speak into him. 
And though it may seem like a no-brainer, Daniel doesn't shy away from embracing the responsibility and saying yes to the promotion. Yeah, I know it's, it sounds like, well, who would, right, with all these perks that are there? But what Daniel actually is doing is putting himself out there on the line because think about this king. He's just said, if you can't do this, the impossible, I'm going to kill you. It's a pretty mercurial boss that he's stepping into this responsibility under. And yet he does embrace the responsibility, somehow understanding that this was the hand of God. And God wanted to influence others in who he was, even through his weakness. Leading, it's not always as glamorous as it appears from a distance, is it? For those of you who are placed in places of leadership. But as God was expanding Daniel's responsibility, he understood, Daniel did, somehow, that God, the sovereign God, the one who gave him the interpretation of the dream, would be with him in the middle of it and would work with him and through him in the moment. His God, Daniel knew, was fully capable of continuing to supply him with wisdom and understanding. And it was as if Daniel concluded that if God really was in charge of his life, then this new place responsibility was more about God than it was about him, which is a really good thing to understand, isn't it? This significant point that our role at work is more about the glory of God than it is about our glory. That can change the way that you approach work. Whatever you're doing at work, it's more about the glory of God than it is about your glory. And if you respond that way faithfully, with that kind of understanding, it will be a powerful movement. It will change your reactions. And so Daniel surrounds himself with these godly guys he could trust, who I'm sure spoke all kinds of creative things into his life, and you're going to see them walk through the fire together. They're going to go through all kinds of challenges together. They would prove their mettle. But Daniel asked the king as his first response if he could create a team of leaders who would share his values that he could depend on, people of competence and character who would pray for him. And finally, this last phrase interests me in the text. It says, but Daniel remained at the king's court. That is, he stayed with his training and his instruction. And he didn't assume that being chosen for this new role meant that he needed to move to a new place, you know, that had all the trappings of wealth and power and disassociate himself from continuing to learn. He stayed in school and stayed connected to the relationships he'd been building and maintained a posture of learning from others. Here's some powerful news from this text that every success you enjoy is a gift from God. Every success that you enjoy at work is a gift from God. So thank him and give him credit for it. And let other people around you at your place of work know, oh, that only happened because of the hand of God, because of my great God. And make sure you maintain this great perspective that the dream actually was trying to give Nebuchadnezzar. God was giving Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and all his friends through this interpretation that there's only one kingdom that lasts forever. And as part of that kingdom, if you're a child of God, that's the thing you need to invest in most significantly for his honor. Let me pray for you, please.
Father, thank you for um, these great truths from your text, great challenge of it to live it out, live out for your glory and not for our own, to humbly lift you up, even in the middle of the trappings of success, to acknowledge that everything, every good gift comes from you. And help us, Father, to live with this great perspective that the dream gives us, that every other kingdom will fail except for yours. Help us to live for you and your kingdom with all that we have. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.